The Meet for TCAS is brought to you in part by SoneLab, a recording studio in East Hampton, Massachusetts. Offering recording, mixing, and mastering of all styles of music, we even master podcasts. Email info at sonelab.com for more information. That's info at sonelab.com. That's the record button. Have we started? We have started. So, this is the Meet for TCAST. You might always start like that. Who knows? I'm Elizabeth McDuffie, founding editor of Meet for Tea, the Valley Review, and this is... I'm Mark Allen Miller, sidekick and uh, co-conspirator in Meet for Tea. Yeah, and I'm graphic designer and web guy and um, the hats. host of the Cirques and a whole bunch of stuff. The hats, there are many. Hello. Bonjour. <laughs> Welcome to the Meet for Tea cast. Welcome. Season four, episode 11. Episode 11. Who do we have? We have the brilliant young Matthew J. McKee, author of the very innovatively written and fascinating novel, Keeping the Stars Awake. I am just about halfway through it. And it's a riveting read. Don't let the fact that I'm only halfway through it fool you. I've been balancing this reading with reading submissions for the upcoming issue of Meat for Tea, which will be released one week from today. December 3rd. December 3rd. If you're not listening today, but listening another day. If you're driving distance from East Hampton, Mass., you should come to Abandoned Building Brewery, bringing a $5 bill and your fully vaccinated and boosted self <laughs> and a face mask. The door is at 7 p.m. and it will be the Circa von Lillenfreud. And we have a full night, as we always do, a full multimedia gala with art on exhibit from Joanna Holty. Our usual spoken word, films by Piper Preston. Mm-hmm. Who are the bands? And the bands are Fred Cracklin. Yay! And Landowner. Yay! Landowner. Or, uh, let's see, Fred Cracklin, how would, how would we describe them? Um, post-punk noise. Yeah, with a bit of a free jazz thing going on in the yeah. rhythmic elements. But also, you know, it's guitar, vocal, and drums. It's just two, two folks and they're powerhouse duo and then landowner are well they're also post-punk but i would say more in the style of maybe a more angular early talking heads is that a good yeah i mean they're they're a little bit mathy yeah a little bit a little bit yeah slightly both bands are a little bit mathy i think that may be the theme we i (laughs) tend to book bands that don't pigeonhole easily i think a lot of the bands yeah, it's true. I select do get loosely umbrellaed under post-punk because that's apparently something I like. There's usually a kind of a noisy and an aggro element. Not every time, but very often. Yeah, more often than not. But I, I think I good, like good to times. have what I like more often than not. Yeah. Well, why would you? Why would you? Why would you not? And there's enough amazing music around that. I can, and also experience has told that 
other people like it. So do come out for yeah, that abandoned building night. brewery. Seven, seven o'clock doors. And we'll be releasing, of course. The reason we have these circs mm-hmm. is not to throw a concert, not to make you watch movies and listen to spoken word. They all hinge on the fact that there's a new issue of Meat for Tea being released. And this one is called Electric. It's the Electric Issue. We learned a fun thing about Triscuits over the weekend from my Tibetan Buddhist monk, Wangden. Do you want to share? Yeah, yeah. Your cousin Wangden said, uh, well, he did the quick summary of it's basically kind of a portmanteau of the word electric and biscuit. And I guess it was... Uh, the first oh, time tris is like the tris and tricity yeah but yeah. it should be t-r-i-c but then people would say trick it yeah well it's tri as in tricity and skit as in biscuit oh so it's kind of a portmanteau except it's not the beginning of the word electric it's not really a portmanteau yeah kind of not but kind of yeah but, charles dodgson would say no yeah probably but apparently that was the first biscuits made with electric heat or something. Electric biscuits. So, Wasn't it like electrically milled water? Something you know, was electrically. You know, I, th- I think Wangden sent us the link to a really interesting article on Maybe that. Maybe we should put the link in the show notes yeah, for our, our I think listeners who are now completely inquisitive and need to find out this backstory. Yeah, we're just baffled Triscuits. by what we're talking about. I think for the release of the electric issue, it might make sense if part of the food on offer. The snacks we have include some Triscuits. I think so. I think so. Yeah. Okay. That's settled. <laughs> so we'll do that. So before we get into our conversation, we little should... Housekeeping. little housekeeping. So all the ways to support us can be found on our website at meat4tea.com. M-E-A-T-F-O-R-T-E-A.com. We now have added... For your holiday cooking needs, aprons to our, our spring store. Our, our Teespring store, yes. And we have a, we're have running a special for this month. Um, free shipping with the code... Merry Meat. Merry Meat. M-E-R-R-Y-M-E-A-T. Merry Meat. <laughs> so jump on there. Get your apron. Get aprons for everyone on your Christmas list. Put them in a meat for tea tote bag along with a mug and a pint glass and some cozy socks. Grab a subscription or five for everyone on your gift list and maybe pick up some copies of our chapbooks. We just recently dropped a new one. From Rick Parr. Yeah. God bless America and... Breakfast burritos to go. And it's a delightful read. It's really, really good. It's sort of a memoir travelogue. Picture on the road without the misogyny. Yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> so, is that, that good for housekeeping? I think that does yeah. it. Shall well, we tuck we, into oh, we my... Have, we have a Patreon. Oh, we do have a Patreon. Of course, that's mentioned on our website, too. Yeah, but it's all mentioned on the website, meatfortea.com, as mentioned before. So, I think, do we tuck in? Just a little quick reminder, if you like what you hear, mm. how about helping other people to find us and listen to us. And the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review with writing. writing an Apple podcast, then copy and paste what you wrote and give a five-star review 
in good pods where we're ranking quite well in the arts and performing arts categories. Yeah, yeah, we're still holding in pretty, pretty nicely. The Think about list. using good pods as your primary podcast. I am. Source. It's wonderful. And you can also search for a podcast specifically in the indie category. If you want to fill your ears with indie productions and why wouldn't you? <laughs> like ours. Oh, wait a minute. You're listening to us now. Maybe through Good Pods. Who knows? Wherever you listen to podcasts, it's all good. Yeah, actually, it dawned on me. You can also leave reviews now at CastBox. I know Spotify, at least you have the ability to leave stars. So there's really several places. And of course, tell your friends and family and tell complete strangers by wearing your Meet for Tea cast shirt proudly as you go about your holiday shopping. Like I am right now. Mm-hmm. You can't see it, but I am. I'm not lying. <laughs> All right. On to my chat with the charming Matthew J. McKee. I'm thrilled to welcome the innovative and brilliant author, Matthew McKee, author most recently of Keeping the Stars Awake from the Atmosphere Press to the Meet for Tea cast. I'm thrilled to have you here. Welcome, Matthew. Thank you for the very generous introduction and for uh, for having me on. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you. I am... I'm like a third of the way through keeping the stars awake now, Mm -hmm. which is saying something because I've been reading this and reading submissions for the next issue of Meat for Tea, which is due for release December 3rd, which is Mm -hmm. soon. Yes. And reading manuscripts for our chapbook press, but it's been hard to keep from reading, keeping the stars awake. Keeping the stars awake makes you want to keep reading. Well, I'm glad to hear it. That's that's always good. I think every author is happy to hear that their book is hard to put down. It is. No, it's a page turner. It's, it's really compelling. I like the POV. I like the disruptive authorial voice. Mm. Yeah, I think the... Um, it, it, uh, it keeps you on your, your toes. You don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> you don't know what's going to happen next. I love how the, our um, protagonist is a teenage boy, complete with all the attitude and predilections you'd expect in someone that age. Mm. Yeah, I think that's... Um, I talked a little bit about it in some of the, the questions you asked me, but um, when I try and, and write... I try and think of my characters not necessarily as characters, but as um, actual people. And I feel like that that does help give them more of a realistic feeling. It does. No, it feels like you're you're living inside this kid's head. For better or worse, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, sometimes for very much worse, yeah. a, a lot of um, unpleasant things happen to him right, right from the get-go. Yes, yeah. That's the, I don't know, the feeling for me was being dropped, dropped into that, which is sometimes strange to think about if you ever watch a movie or something like that, too. You are dropped into that person's headspace out of nowhere. You don't know what happened before. At least in a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> At least in a good, true. 
you know? Right. Uh, some do spend a lot of time on exposition and tedious world building. So you almost want to duck out before the action starts. And here you, you, you plunk us right down and the action, it almost feels like the action started before we got there, which I love. Yes. Um, I think I'm trying to remember my editor. Claire. No, that's your publisher. Yeah, it's the publisher. I'm trying, my editor's name was Adam, and he was a very, very good editor. And uh, he had a very specific name for it that I can't remember what it's called. Um, but from my own readings of the past and, and all that stuff, is there's kind of two types of world building. There's soft world building and hard world building. And uh, Tolkien is a great example of hard world building, where he he gives you histories and genealogies and all that stuff. And maps. Um, yes, and maps. And <laughs> Even before you start reading, <laughs> there's, <yeah>. there's maps. <laughs> yeah, you know where you're going. Uh, <laughs> uh, and this is definitely not that. Keeping the Stars Awake was soft world building where uh, inference and, and what you see and what the characters see and interact with is, is what gives you the, the information. Was the term your editor used in Medea Raz? Ah, uh, yes, that is it. Yes. Uh -huh. Oh, wonderful. Yes, yeah. that's it. I, I would gather so. And I, I yeah. really, I, I love that. And I am, I appreciate that. I, I think it just shows a respect for the reader and it offers an invitation to the reader to enter in mm -hmm. and, and kind of collaboratively start seeing the world build around them in their own yeah. mind's eye. Mm -hmm. Yep. Really get a, a feeling for what you're reading, right? Uh, don't just make it easy for the reader. Yeah. Yeah. And give them space to put their own Lego pieces into the structure. Yes, absolutely. If yeah. it is in fact built out of, Legos, or if instead <laughs> if it's built out of the Kinder eggs, yeah, the swarm <laughs> of them to yeah. be in abundance. I, yeah. I didn't even bother to count the pops when the Kinder eggs start dropping in. <laughs> what is it, page fifty? And from page fifty to fifty-two, almost the bottom, there's a series of pops. And it must be, it's got to be several hundred Kinder Eggs. Yeah. And I think the, the answer there was an infinite amount of Kinder Eggs. If you have an, an infinite lifespan and you got Kinder Eggs for life, you have an infinite amount of Kinder Eggs, which seems implausible. Yeah, I would have asked for a more durable skull if I were yeah. in a character's position. <laughs> Given the um, unfortunate things that have happened to his skull already. Yes. Uh, <laughs> as I think he he stated somewhere along the line he wasn't he wasn't thinking about it too hard, which was maybe a, a, is his um, his weakness if there's going to be given on it doesn't think about it hard enough. <laughs> right. Well, how old is he meant to be? Fifteen? Is that it? Fifteen years old? I um, quiz me on the details. Uh, 15, I think he was sixteen. I think he was working on upwards of that 17, 18. I think, he, I, think I put him in a, uh, as a senior in high school. Mm. 
I do believe. Okay. But the, the answer to that is more complicated than it probably should be. Um, but yeah, he was in that upper, the, the whole story is, is dealing, I think with the upper bracket of coming out of isolation and into, uh, a bigger world. And that is definitely, I think what 17, 18 year olds or, you know, all high schoolers have to go through is you realize your world is about to get much, much bigger than it, it has been. And he's in a, he's in worlds. Yes. Right. Not, not a bigger world singular, but worlds. Yep. Multi-layered staircase. Like a cake. <laughs> yes. Staircases up and down. I love that. When, when, when I got to that section, I was kind of reminded of like an MC Escher famous painting with the impossible staircases. Yes. That's a great example. Yeah. So you had that kind of a vision in your mind of these like staircases that just kind of go everywhere and nowhere all at once. Yeah. There's a, um, another famous novel and uh, it's by a, a French writer who lived quite a long time ago and I'm going to butcher his name, but his name was Nerval is I think what his name was in my, in my poor English. And the name of his book was, and I'm going to butcher this too, is Ariel, 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 I think is what it was. Uh, And he spent a lot of time in an insane asylum uh, and he, he tried to write his way out of his madness, which is what became his, his famous book. I need to look this up. You can, you can email me the author's name and the name of the book and we'll put it in our show notes. Okay. Yeah. And he wrote about, um, in his dreams that he was going up and down an endless staircase lost inside of a giant tower. And that was a great metaphor. I thought for trying to find your place in the world and not being able to and trying to be able to understand the world and not being able to. And that the, you know, if you go up a dimension or down a dimension, or if you go into a different world from the one you're in now, direction is, is a very strange thing when you're on a really dark staircase. How very cool. Yeah. Now, when did you start writing Keep the, Keeping the Stars Awake? I started writing Keeping the Stars Awake probably um, back in 2018, I do believe, would have been the start of the first draft. And I got about halfway through. I got about to page 150, right when they get out of the, the library. I haven't gotten to the library yet. <laughs> I'm <Yeah>. excited to <laughs> get there. And it, it kind of dead ended right there. I, it, it, uh, I don't know why exactly, but I just couldn't continue the manuscript at that time. And I came back a year later after I had finished another novel and I came back and I picked it back up and I finished it that time. Um, so I think the first finished version was around the end of 2019 is when it first, when I first finished the original draft. Interesting. Okay, so that that destroys one theory I had. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> was that maybe this um, coming out of a sort of isolation and into a larger world was analogous to the pandemic, but this this was pre-pandemic writing, so that theory goes <laughs> goes the way of the kinder eggs. Yeah, <laughs> the dodos, <laughs> the windows. Yep, yeah. all of those. <laughs> Poof. Mm. I think uh, for me, uh, and it's a retrospective action because of the way I write, because I write in a very streamlike way without any uh, plot planning or anything like that. I love that. It's just so organic. Yes, it is. And I think that's one of the reasons why, um, and I think this is the advice maybe of uh, Stephen King. I've I've read lots of his books. Did you read read his book on writing? Yes, I have. I've read it several times. And I think it's from on writing his his, book. his advice at the end is like, finish the first draft and then try and find out what it's about. (laughs) Don't try and figure it out as you're going, right? Get it all out, get it all out onto the page and then sit back and see if you can find some some deeper meaning in there. And that happens quite a lot with me when I'm writing in this more organic way. I don't quite know what story I'm telling or what it's supposed to mean or if it means anything at all until I'm done with it and I can look back at it. Yeah. I, I mean, I love that. And I, I think that that's the best thing about writing is to be taken as the writer on a journey where you don't even know where you're going to end up. Yeah. And to be uh, and surprised. I, <laughs> I am always surprised. I'm always surprised who's the antagonists in my story. I never really... I really never really know until I get to the end and I look back and I go, oh, who's this person the whole time? Didn't see that one coming. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I love Sen. Yes, I do too. She's she's glorious. She in the is, worst and best kind of ways. <laughs> yeah, no, she's she's um she's terrible and glorious. I mean, she she fits the classical definition of the word sublime ah. which was never meant to mean perfectly wonderful it was meant to mean slightly horrifying and awe striking mm, that is a great yeah that's that's a pretty good definition <laughs> yeah I don't know if you've read Edmund Burke's essays but his essays on the sublime and the beautiful sort that out pretty thoroughly. And there's a big yawning gap between sublime and beautiful. Sublime should be like looking at Niagara Falls or looking at some foreboding cliffs and you're struck Mm. by the beauty, but at the same time, you're filled with terror. That's a great description of Sen then. I agree. And I'll have to look I'll have to look those up. Those sound really good on on beauty and sublime. That's very interesting. Yeah, Edmund Burke. Edmund Burke. I will write it down. 18th century, I think. Don't quote me on that. They're sitting in the living room, and I'm not going to get up and go grab them now. And it's been a while since I read them. But it's good stuff. And she's also kind of like what um, when when Freud did writing about... um, Um, Unheimlich. Heimlich. 
Yep. And unheimlich, unheimlich was the unhomelike, the unfamiliar, the, the uh, unsettling. And uh, his essays on that really help unpack a lot of the psychology behind writing horror. And yeah. I don't know that I'd put this in the genre of horror because I want to say that as far as I've gotten this novel, it is sui generis. But I, I, I do, I think that's a, a compliment to your book is that it is outside of genre. You can't classify mm. it tightly in sci-fi or in horror or in mm. action or, or in, it's not a piece of genre writing. It's a literary novel. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I, I don't think I had any aim for that, but I think that's generally the way my books turn out. Many of my my friends or my uh, my fellow teachers ask me, "What kind of book do you write?" And I go, "I I don't know. <laughs> I cannot tell you." Yeah. Uh, on this page, we have something a little romantic. On the next page, uh, Sen is not romantic. She is sublime. <laughs> it's it it doesn't fit. Are are you like a a hip hop aficionado? Because I noticed some diction creeping up in the protagonist, like where he's talking about Sen's thighs and it's like (laughs) thick, T H I C. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I am not a hip hop uh, aficionado. Um, So you don't like big butts and you cannot lie. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I do know that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I grew up in the weird intermediate time. Uh, this this year, actually, a couple of days from now, I'm going to be 30. Uh, you are just a child. Oh, I'm sorry. We'll, we'll take that out. You're, no, you, okay. you are the same age as my youngest, who is also 29, but she'll be 30 this next um, March. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, there, it's the weird, weirdest You're thing. You're a young sometimes, author. Yeah, I feel like a child sometimes still, and then other times I'm I'm definitely uh, not young anymore. Uh, I can't run across the um, the playground anymore like I used to. I tried to get up to top speed a couple of days ago, and my legs refused. So <laughs> I don't feel uh, so kid like anymore. But I do. <laughs> still have um, a lot of those words. I like them. I think they flavor your writing beautifully. Thank you. And I I think that has a lot to do with being in this precarious age group that I am, where I'm not uh, before the internet and I'm not after the internet. I I was there for it. I was uh, in elementary school when computers... Uh, the giant original Mac Pro came out and all those things. So uh, I grew up with the diction and the, the lingo and I have access to that and yeah. the, the stuff that came way before the, you know, the Latin and things as well. Well, you were born like 93, 92. 92. Yeah, 92, yeah. yeah. Foot in both worlds in the, in the 2000s and the, the 1900s. Well, so. like, <laughs> cl- clearly Gen Z, but with a foot kind of edging over into millennial a little bit. Yes. Yeah. On that on that borderline. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm twice your age. <laughs> and I don't... <laughs> still young, yes. Well, I don't identify as a boomer. I, I, I think that 
gap of time they gave for boomers is too big. Mm. It's like 40 years. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's really huge. Yeah, don't put me that old. I'm not that old. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I was 60, born in 62. And I, I really think that um, the phrase that really... D- describes my generation the most accurately is we were the film strip generation. Um, really short-lived piece of technology. Mm. It existed in libraries and school classrooms for about 10 years. And then gone. Gone. Because it, yeah. that that's how technology, you know, 70s, 80s, everything's like just... You know, first you're all excited to get your eight tracks and then, you know, the eight tracks are bullshit. Then you want your cassettes <laughs> and you always want your vinyl. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Yep, the good old days. Now we don't even have the good stuff anymore. We do. Mm. We have a lot of vinyl. Oh, you guys do. Oh, that's wonderful. Mm. We have 2,000 albums, not counting the oh. seven-inch singles. Amazing. I do, I do love... Uh, all kinds of music to circle back around to hip hop. Uh, yeah, I don't. Let's. I don't listen to quite a lot of hip hop, but I listen to a lot of um, classical music. My grandmother was a classical uh, pianist. She was a oh, piano cool. teacher, and my grandfather was a cellist. So I grew up in in a household that was full of those classic musicians, and my mother was a, a big fan of uh, Billy Joel. And um, Jimmy Buffett and mm. ACDC. And so just a huge That's variety a of music. Yeah, in my house. So and everything I feel like from that did a lot. Bach to Buffett. Yeah. Bach That's to a Buffett great, and beyond. It's a, <laughs> a great title. Yeah. Man, I'd shop at that store. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, just a huge slice of that um, musical pie. And I, I, I certainly do think that tinted some of the uh, tastes I have in literature and things as well. Yeah. I noticed in your interview, which our listeners are just going to have to get the new issue of Meet for Tea to read, and they should, because it's good. Yes, they should. Thank it's you. got some fun questions. Yeah. Some of which were written by a child. <laughs> Those are the one of the, some of the best questions, So, because how do you answer that as an adult? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> When the Meat for Tea is going to be 17 years old this March, and when we first started it, I just asked Aaron, who's your age roughly, mm-hmm. to to make our first four or five interview questions, and those are what she came up with. They were great. I enjoyed them very much. I enjoyed trying to answer them in an honest, but uh, uh, not elementary school-like way. So, yeah, they were of they were course. very interesting questions. My favorite is, are you happy? And if not, why? And that's oh, her words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me if sit down not, with a glass why? of whiskey and <laughs> let me ponder so for like, a moment. <laughs> how are you responsible for your misery? <laughs> yeah. Yep. I was happier before you asked me that question, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just so ruthless. Hmm. Yeah, they don't they don't have the the mask to pull down like an adult does, right? They just yeah. No. Why, <laughs> why are you bald? Um, well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was stuff she would actually ask people. 
mommy, why is that lady's butt so big? I'm like, Aaron, we're, we're just not going to. Not going to do that right now. Going to get out of this oh, line in the supermarket. Yeah. We'll talk about it in the car. In the car. Yeah. In the car. So you've got previous novels. How many books have you written? My word. I think I've published uh, nine novels, I do believe. Whoa, Matt, uh, you're 29 years old and you've published nine novels. Yeah. Allow me those... to be impressed. <laughs> Thank you. I think I've written around um, 16 novels. When did you start this endeavor? Uh, I've been writing almost my entire life, but I started writing like seriously and, and thinking like I really do want to seriously be a writer uh, my final year in college when I was winding down after um, or right before finals, final tests. Wow. And I had some free time and I, I had been, always been writing and I had started a piece a short story that had turned into something like 50 pages. And I thought, oh, wow, this is actually going to be... That's a big short a story. Yeah. And it yeah. turned into a 600-page um, a novel. So, Holy crap. Yeah. So that was the time I really, really feel like, you know, I've committed myself to finishing whatever this is. Um, and when I did that, it was, it was such a reward that I, I said, I, I think I want to do that again. And I, I have over and over and over. But 16 of those, 16 written, uh, eight were self-published. And then this is uh, Keeping the Stars Awake was the first one that I got um, published by an actual publisher. So, Congratulations. Thank you. And you, you come to me at the recommendation of your publisher, Claire Dennison. Yes. Because I had Patrick Scott, another atmosphere press author on the podcast a while ago mm -hmm. and she loved his chat and she's like we have another author please have him on <laughs> well, it really is gracious of claire to, to to do that for me and i really really am uh thankful for that and thank you again for having me on no i'm i'm glad i did i had to we we have um kind of strict rules our, our authors that we have in the podcast have to be published mm -hmm. in Meat for Tea. So I had to do a little work around. I'm like, well, you can be the, the featured interview and yes. then you'll be published <laughs> in Meat for Tea and that's the work yeah. around. And then we Thank can you. have this chat. No, I'm yeah. so glad. So what's going to become of these older novels? Now I'm curious to see those early works. Um, I think I've unpublished several of them from the Amazon website because I feel like my growth as an author has gotten to the point where I can rework those stories into being much better than they are. Ooh, that's exciting. Yeah. And some of them I've left up. I think my original, my very first novel, which was called Under the Tower, um, I have left alone. Ooh. And it's, it's terrible. But, I'm gonna grab it <laughs> uh, at your at your uh, not at my recommendation. <laughs> I, I, I like terrible things. I find them relaxing. Yeah. I watch the most terrible television when I want to relax. Yeah, there are some of those that I think is something like Space Theater Three Thousand. Oh, Mystery Science Theater. Mystery oh, Theater. Thank you. Yeah, Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand. Yes, I oh. love that. Yeah, the terrible movies that they talk over. It's <laughs> the same thing. I, I watch terrible reality TV. <laughs> yeah. 
That's how I reward myself when I've done an issue of meat for tea. I empty my brain. Yes, that is a good way to go about it. And I do (laughs) garbage. (laughs) I I wouldn't call it garbage. I'm maybe biased that my first novel it's not garbage, but oh um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call your novel garbage. I I am. Real Housewives of Beverly Hills might be garbage. Yeah, I think it, yeah, that's a fair assessment. It could be. Uh, <laughs> but I, I left that original novel alone because if I ever do become any kind of famous, which is, you know, it's not the goal of writing. Um, I write yeah. to write. I write because I love it. If I become famous, that's great. That's a great dividend, I suppose. But it's if I ever do become... a step in the right direction. Yeah, thank you. Yes. <laughs> But if it ever gets to the point where I can, you know, stand in front of an auditorium of, of aspiring writers and they can, you know, look up with starry eyes, I can look down at them and say, uh, read my first novel, Keeping the Stars Awake. It's horrible. And if, if I can do, do that and then end up here, you can too. It's, it's kind of a, a, a lesson maybe for the future, if anything goes anywhere, where I can say, look, I, I didn't like start. Yeah, I didn't start being brilliant. I didn't start being amazingly good at it. I, I had to really work at it. I, I love that. <laughs> My so husband here. was so funny. I'm like, he's so young. He's only 29. He's just a baby. He's like, shh, he could hear you. I'm like, oh, <laughs> we've already been over that ground. He yeah. already knows. Yeah, it's okay. I think... The, the line for for the, the new, like, oh, you're an actual adult, always keeps going up, right? 30s, the new 20, 40s, the new 30. Uh, eventually, we'll all live forever, so. Yeah, it, would that be it? I think that might be terrible, right? It would be. I'm actually writing a, a book about that now. What would happen? About, about living forever? Yep. What a cool premise. Oh, do you have a working title? Uh, I do. It's uh, called, oh God, where was it? Uh, uh, Using an old language, it's called Balal. I'm pretty sure I'm messing that up too, which is the original Hebrew for Babel. Yes. The Tower of Babel. Um, uh, Cool. The the actual title would probably be Ink Black is what it's called, Ink Black. Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, let me extend my invitation to publish an excerpt in an upcoming issue of Meat for Tea, ah, if you so desire. Yes, please. I can. Uh, I would definitely be happy with that. A little teaser. See how see how long it takes me to to get the actual book out after. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, people people can just be in suspense for a while. Yes, that would be. Uh, I'm overjoyed to hear that. I would love to do that. Yes, thank you. I'll let you know and we'll be open for submissions. Thank you, yes. I'll send you some of my um, very, very short, short stories as well and see if those are... I would love that. Next time we reopen, that would be so cool. Yes, please consider me. Thank you. Oh, no, I love it. Speaking of um, suspense, we've probably been keeping our listeners in suspense talking about the unusual structure and sen and the teenage protagonist of keeping the stars awake without mm. giving them any kind of a taste. Um, and I'm wondering if maybe you might want to read an excerpt of your choosing. Sure. Would you like me to do one um, 
separate from the one that I put in the interview. Probably a good idea. So they don't, so they have to read, read that one to see what that excerpt is. Gotta buy the magazine, bitches, if you want to read that. Yes. I like that. We, oh, by the way, you're probably gathering, you're allowed to swear. Yes. Which works well for the content of your book. (laughs) Yeah. I did, like I said, I didn't, I didn't censor myself. I didn't want. I like that. We actually only have one word that um, people aren't allowed to say on our podcast. Okay. Uh, It's a name. It's just um, that orange 45th president. Ah, I got it. I don't even, I pretend like he wasn't the president. Well, was he? He kind of wasn't. Yeah, no. No, he he didn't didn't do He didn't perform the function. Correct. So we just, if someone says that name, we, we bleep it out. Uh, it's fair. It's the it's the way um, I do believe uh, uh, Stephen does it. Um, Stephen Colbert. Colbert. We're yeah, huge yeah. fans. We love yes. him ever so much. Ooh, he's wonderful, isn't he? Oh my god, we love the nicknames he gives him. <laughs> um, always a new hashtag. Always. Triple skilled skin, and they're yes. just like it, they just get ever sillier. No, we're we're, we're enormous fans. That's actually. He's one of our favorite ways to get the news. Yes, me too. I think that um, a little less serious and a little more sardonic is good for everybody. Yeah, we we get ours filtered through him, through John Oliver. Lovely, I do love John Oliver too. Yes, the whole the whole range over there. Yeah, John Stewart, the John. Yes, <laughs> and Seth Meyers. Ah, I do like Seth Myers. He has a very, he's much more quiet though. He's very subdued, which is interesting. I always find that to be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we get our news the same way. We call it pundits. We just, we just go look for a comedic <laughs> pundit. And we, we get it filtered yes. that way because honestly, mm. I, I would, John Oliver for president or Stephen Colbert for president or John Stewart. Not that any of them is dumb enough to want the job. Yeah, that's true. I think that that's happened a rub. A, yeah, <laughs> a few years ago as they asked them that some people seriously asked John uh, Stewart, would you please? And he said, no, I think. <laughs> no, thank I don't you. Think, yeah, I think I'm smart enough to know what's for me and what's not. <laughs> yeah, and that's fair enough. So let's, not- let's see if I can find a... Um, uh, an excerpt here, something that would, well, let me ask you then, you're like, Rick, what page are you up to? So I can avoid giving you any spoilers as well. Oh, aren't you considerate? Thank you. I am up to 95. 95. Okay. Something before. You should be 95. flattered because I've been, again, reading this amongst so many pressing reading duties all at once, but I keep going back to it because it's, it's just fun. This is a fun read, Matthew. Yes, thank you. I do. I do really appreciate. It. I am fun. Yes. <laughs> I think people it's, have fun reading something that was fun to produce. I hope so. I, I think that works. Yeah, I think you can. You can tell in books. I think sometimes when the author got bogged down and when the author felt like they needed a pause of some kind. Or if they, if, you know, if they were bored and they write the word they're bored, then, you know, if you have a smart editor, they tell you, get rid of that because now you're boring your reader. <laughs> That's right. 
I used to tell my kids that if when they'd be like, "Mommy, I'm bored." I'm like, "Well, if you're bored, you're boring." So <laughs> stop being boring. Or would you like a sponge? I could use some help with the house. Let me give you a sponge. You can yeah. Put your that's work. true. Yeah, and then you can just uh, if they say that's boring, you can say, "Watch Adam Watts. He'll tell you washing dishes can be the most enjoying thing in the world." You just got to put your mind into it. Come on, guys. Scrub with purpose. Scrub with vigor. Let's <laughs> see. <laughs> I think I found a um, a good excerpt. Uh, yeah, a good excerpt here. Uh, One to make everyone's appetite whetted for reading the rest of the book. I hope. Yeah. Yay. Let's see. So I thought I would start with maybe the intro here to uh, chapter 007. Cool. Not connected to James Bond. I know. And I always hear like, dun, 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 If the Keeping the Stars Awake ever becomes a movie, maybe we can get Billie Eilish to sing some music for it. That would be great. I love Billie Eilish. Who does not love her? She's so lovable. Yeah. Miserable people don't like her, I suppose. People well, who they hate can, themselves hate her. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the, uh, incels, let's not even talk about them. Those are yeah, terrible. They are. Yeah. But she is, she's a, a very self confident. Throw Kinder eggs at them. Yes. <laughs> choke on the toys, choke on the tiny toys. That's so. right. <laughs> Let's see. All right. So the intro to uh, chapter seven, you're typed uh, called 007, run run faster, but not fast enough. So here we go. So this is a book. Yep. I nodded. At least according to the voice in my head, it is. Ah, well, any more Kinder eggs? That's your reaction. I tell you life is but a dream and you ask about food. You're taking the destruction of your reality rather well. Yeah, I don't see how it changes much. Sen looked back at me over her shoulder, her piercing green eye gleaming out from under the night veil of her hair. It's like our roasted peanuts versus peanut butter conversation. How you figure, I asked, shuffling behind Sen down another unremarkable, moon-rust-infested avenue of dreary monoliths, my hands deep in my pockets. I mean, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, but it only takes you a second of thought and you're already cool with it? Well, Sen sounded contemplative. Who's to say the voice in your head isn't in the same situation? Huh? There are books in this reality, right? Um... Yeah. Then if we're just a book in the author's reality, who's to say he's not a book in someone else's? Who's to say everything isn't just a book inside a movie, inside another book? Nobody can prove otherwise, can they? I suppose not. Then it changes nothing. Roasted peanuts or peanut butter, it doesn't matter. It's all nuts in the end. (laughs) So I think that's a nice little teaser to what kind of things you can expect to happen and what kind of conversations you can expect to hear. (laughs) I love that. And you really give our listeners a glimpse into just how multi-layered and meta 
things go with a book in someone else's, a book inside a movie, inside another book. And, you know, you can just keep stacking that. Yeah. Ad infinitum. Yep. Who's to say, who's to say what or where or when? <laughs> no, it just keeps going. It's a one of those uh, mirror inside a mirror inside a mirror inside a mirror optical illusions. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was always struck by that. I think Mark told you when he was getting you set up that we showed this to his 16-year-old son who's been reading a lot of heady philosophy lately. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he's reading um, Doug, Douglas Hofstetter's Girdle, Usher, and Bach right now. Did you Have you read it? Yeah. I have, I have not. I have had um, a lot of philosophy in the back, but no, that has not come my way yet. But I would, I would, it's certainly something that sounds like it'd be up my alley. I read a lot of Nietzsche and I read a lot of you. I like Nietzsche. Yeah, I really do like Nietzsche. He's one of my favorite beaches. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, perfect. Yep, I read a lot of that um, and I've read... I'm not sure he would have ever called himself a philosopher, but I've read a lot of Christopher Hitchens. I love him. Yeah. For, he edited Vanity Fair. Yes, he did. Yeah. Uh, and he was just a wonderful human being. What a being. brain. And, yeah. And he has such a way with words witty. spoken and written. Yep. So absolutely. witty. Yeah. What what got you into Hitchens? I, I just, um, you're, you're, you're so young. I think he... <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't mean that in any kind of patronizing uh, or condescending way either. I'm just genuinely yeah. curious because I think he was retired from Vanity Fair when you were quite young. Yeah. Uh, I think I found Christopher Hitchens probably when I was, oh, still here in Japan about three, four years ago. So probably after he was I think after he was, he, he unfortunately died. Yeah. Back in, I think back in 2012, I want to say. I know. Rest in power, yeah. Mr. Hitchens. Yes, please. And so I was looking at a debate between, I think, um, once again, I'm going to butcher this name because he's French. Foucault? Foucault? Foucault. Foucault, thank you. Uh, You're welcome. Foucault and um, Chomsky, Noam Chomsky. I love Noam Chomsky. Yeah. So they were doing a debate and... Those are some good brains. Yes, they are. And YouTube, for all of its insanity and negative aspects, does a good job recommending what next thing you should watch. And the next thing they recommended that I should watch was a conversation I think Foucault had with um, Christopher Hitchens. Fun. I need to look this one up. Yeah. And it just went from there. Oh, sure it's cool. Yeah. There's uh, YouTube is um it's a double-edged sword. It's really great at recommending what you should watch next if you're going down a clever rabbit hole. Yes. <laughs> if in fact you are going down a stupid racist conspiracy theorist rabbit hole. It will drive you further down that too. Yeah, yeah. Which is there's... Uh, uh, chilling. Yeah, there needs to be some more probably moderation there. Yeah. 
or, or um, just less less dumb people. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just, the just world maybe. is dumber than you think. Is the the fallback? Yeah, uh, unfortunately so. Yeah, and we'll be back in just a moment. We have a very generous partner to meet for tea. We really appreciate them very much because mm-hmm. it's through ad support that we stay in print. So without further ado, let me tell you about Sucre Bay. Sucre Bay is perfume made by weirdos like you. And they're a cruelty-free, women-owned indie perfume and body products company who love making people smell good. Each scent is crafted by hand in their Washington State lab located in the woods. And honestly, I don't know where else you can find fragrances with names like Sea Hag, Don't Panic, Siren Song, Goth as Fuck. Those are just a few of their bestsellers. So great. They have all sorts of other things to bath care products and also they... They partner with a lot of interesting people, including our friend Sarah McCartney of 4160 Tuesdays. Sucre Bay is one of the few places in the States you can get yourself some 4160 Tuesdays fragrances. Yes. So head on over to sucrebay.com. Check out their wares. And we thank them Check for... Check the show notes for the proper spelling. Mm-hmm. And thank you very, very or much, Or should I do it on Sucre mic Bay. now? Oh, yeah. You know what? How's it spelled? Yeah. So if you just go to S-U-C-R-E-A-B-E-I-L-L-E.com, that'll get you there. Yeah. We really appreciate their support. Thank you so much, Sucre Bay. Thank you so much, Sucre Bay. We love you. And welcome back. Are you familiar with George Carlin? I am familiar with George Carlin, yes. Yay! Yeah, I do like Carlin. He is, uh, for, for all of Christopher Hitchens' Um, powers and abilities. He was always a very reasonable worded person. Uh, I think. I think so. Yeah. Carlin is very, very blunt and, and much more viper like, I feel like. He, he will just call you a straight fucking idiot to your face. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's much more sludge, sludge, uh, cudgel like with his words. Yeah. Yes. Appreciative he, he... of that, though. He weaponized them. Yeah. You need both, I think. I think you do. <laughs> we, we need the razor of Hitchens and we need the cudgel of Carmen. Mm. I think we do. Yeah. <laughs> You're familiar with with Carlin's Law then? Oh, I'm not sure I've heard of it. Please, if you say it, I might remember. It. Well, it's just think about the average person. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And the stupidest person you know, and realize, oh my God, my uh, now I need my husband. I'm butchering Carlin's law, but anyway, it's like <laughs> half half of the world is stupider than the stupidest person you can think of. Yes, yes, I think I've heard of that before. I'm not sure I've heard it as as his law before, but I have heard it. Yeah, I'm just gonna have him probably bleep me out and put his own. <laughs> Some people are really fucking stupid. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? How many really stupid people you run into during the day? God damn, there's a lot of stupid bastards walking around. 
Carry a little pad and pencil with you. You wind up with 30 or 40 names by the end of the day. Look at it this way. Think of how stupid the average person is and then realize half of them are stupider than that. Because I'm, I'm butchering it, but it's so brilliant. <laughs> I, I, I just like how he's so unsympathetic to um, willful ignorance. Yes, and I think we, we should be. And I think one of the things about yes. um, keeping the stars awake is it, it can be a... I knew when I was writing it because of the, the content of it and the way that I did not censor anything, that there could be a misconstruing of its purpose for the people who are willfully ignorant. Um, but I oh. went out of my... Uh-huh. Yeah, I went, I went out of my way at the end to um, when I was writing the afterword to, to put a little gotcha in there that like, uh, if, you, if you thought I was- I can't wait to get there. Yeah, if you thought I was condoning anything, I'm not. Good. Yeah, and the, the power of that is also, I think, um, some, a lesson I've learned from, from Hitchens and other debaters like that is that if you just go, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, and you scream at each other, you're mm-hmm. never going to get that person to come over to your side. You're never going to be able to educate that stupid person. Right. But if you write something or you say something that they think you're, they, they can agree with. And then at the end, you actually go, uh, actually, no, that's all wrong. And this, this was not for you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you've, you've, you've had them be amenable the whole time. And now that you've yanked the rug out from underneath of them, uh, it's almost like they've done it them to themselves. They yank the rug out from under their own feet. And hopefully that can be some kind of a wake-up call to these kinds of people. Because they're not necessarily bad people. They are the willfully ignorant, but they're they're also just the genuinely ignorant. And how you reach the genuinely ignorant is important, I think. I I agree. And it's tricky. Yeah, that you don't force them back into their own rabbit hole. So hopefully keeping the stars awake... When people get to the end and they can get that little gotcha, they can maybe see like, oh, oh, maybe I has been wrong this whole time. And that'll be some kind of a, a knell to wake up before you're, it's too late, you're dead. I can't wait to get there. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. I hope, it's, I hope it works the way I, I, I envisioned it. <laughs> I shall keep you posted. There's actually um, a New York Times podcast I listened to a number of them, but um, it's, it's a slightly older one. I think it ended about a year ago, but it's just called, it's a limited edition series. It's called Rabbit Hole. Mm, interesting. Yeah, it's the whole account of how a perfectly average, normal, harmless young man got radicalized going mm. down a rabbit hole of YouTube recommendations. Yeah. Because unlike you, his starting points weren't Christopher Hitchens and Foucault and Noam Chomsky. His starting point was Joe Rogan. So you can see how Um, he went down a different path. Yeah. Uh And then the Uh, darkness unfolds. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It it might go back to a certain amount of lack of proper science education and, and math education for my generation anyway, when we were in 
elementary, middle, and high school, some of the great scientists uh, of our time, like um, the guy who does Star Talk. I always forget his name. That makes me so angry. Oh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. So, yes, thank you. Neil deGrasse Tyson. You're welcome. <laughs> yes, has done a very good job explaining why, um, uh, you know. And Bill Nye, of course. Yeah, there needs to be more Bill Nye the science guy. there, And they need to not just be on TV. They need to be in their classrooms because they teach you, like, this is 2 plus 2 equals 4. All right, next. They don't tell you why 2 plus 2 equals 4. You right? know what happened to that, right? I, I'm assuming it's no child left behind. Uh-huh. And, and angry fundamentalist parents uh, yeah. who didn't want their children learning some of that went against um, <clears throat> Christian doctrine. Uh, yep. Yep. I could get on a soapbox, <laughs> but I will, I will yes. <laughs> control myself. <laughs> yes. We'll let Socrates get on his soapbox. He knew best. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I mean, he didn't live that long because he was... Yeah, he got... He got Wasn't by those fundamentalists, didn't he? It's a story of uh-huh. all his time. Yeah. And uh, speaking of all the people that say that vaccines are dangerous and you want to use natural things to cure your illnesses, well, um, the thing that killed Socrates was natural. Yeah. Hemlock. Yeah. It, a little it hemlock. It's very natural. <laughs> And also very unsafe. Yes. Um, we Surprisingly, there are, there are some vaccine deniers even in Japan. That is a, in a country I that I think does much better. I was going to get to that. I want to, before we wind this down, I, I want to, like, you began in Wyoming. Is that correct? Yes, correct. And, and yep. you are in Japan. Yes. That's a trajectory. Yeah, I was... Um, Small bio. I was born in Colorado in Denver. Okay. Um, my mother was very young. My mother was 21, I want to say, I was when 19 I was born. when I had my oldest. Yeah, th- those were the days. I want to give her a high five. <laughs> young mommies can raise good kids. We can do yes. it. Yes. Yes, they can. Um, yes, they can. And my mother worked very hard for me and my brother. Your she had proof. Twins. Yes, thank you. Um and we, we lived in small town, Wyoming. We lived in a place called Pinedale, Wyoming. Shout wow. out to Pinedale. It's a very beautiful little town. Um, not too far from the world famous Jackson Hole. Oh, wow. Yeah. And the Grand Tetons. Um, yeah. One of the first things you learn growing up in Wyoming is the Grand Tetons actually mean um, big boobies. Yes, they do. <laughs> because the French who were coming around, they came around a, a bend in the river, and the river is called the Hoback, which is the like, hog's ho, back. Ho, ho. Yeah. <laughs> they hadn't seen, the story is they hadn't seen a woman for six months, and they came around and saw the mountains, fell down onto their knees, and went, oh, they come around to dance. horny, franchy, franchies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they must have been to look at the, those mountains and go, <laughs> with like trees and shit on them yeah, yeah that's a little weird <laughs> i never saw it um but pinedale is a great place just a very beautiful or you know it's a it's getting gotten better it, it had its uh racists and misogynists and all those things because it is a small town in the rural of wyoming but then you killed them all what happened all no, the racists they... and misogynists are dead now tell me uh, that's they true were... Yeah, they were very they were very old when I was there, uh, when I was growing up. Oh, they just died. Yeah, uh, some of them did. 
Um, but then this cool. is another thing that we talked about, I think, earlier, is that they weren't, they weren't bad people. They were very, very wonderful people. They just had, they, they, they never, ever left their small town. And so they never, you know, they'd never seen of the world. They never knew the world. Yeah. They didn't have anything but the, what their great granddaddy taught. And so they were, they were terrible people. And that's not a good excuse, but it's the reason why they were these terrible, wonderful people. Sure. But I knew that I wanted to, to see the world and get out there and do stuff. So ever since I was in elementary school, I had wanted to come and live in Japan. I was very interested in, in Japan from that What age. made you fascinated in Japan from such a young age? It started when Ryan, my brother, uh, and I were playing games on the internet. And we got tired of modern video games, these little click, 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 click games you could play online back then. Um, and we started looking for old board games. And we found the ancient Japanese board game called Go, which is just Oh, G-O. I know that game. Yeah. Um, in Japanese, it's called Eagle. How cool. Yeah. And uh, I... Wait, say it again in Japanese. Eagle. Oh, cool. Eagle. Yeah. Uh, I-G-O. Eagle is what it says. And I started playing when I was uh, maybe 10, 11, somewhere in there. And just fell in love with that game. Uh, my brother first and then me next. And... Uh, got getting better and better at it. I had to learn Japanese terms for things in the game. And then I got interested in the history of the game. And it's got a very mm. interesting, uh, sometimes very bloody history. Oh, wow. Which is interesting for a game, for a board game. Uh, and that got me interested in the history of Japan, especially the Edo period, the Edo Jidai. And that just sparked my, my lifelong interest to be where I am today. And so I went to the University of Montana, which has one of the best Japanese programs uh, in the West. No uh, kidding. And, yeah. I don't think a lot of people know that. No, they don't. If you're looking to go study Japanese, University of Montana has it. That's they a have hot many, tip. Yeah, they have many foreign exchange students. Many Japanese students are there. My Japanese teacher, when I was there, used to teach for the Japanese military. She was a very cool lady. Oh, wow. Yeah. And from there, I went to, when I graduated, I went to Alaska, which was my, you know, getting closer to Japan. Sure. Yeah. And then in Alaska, writing my first novel and things like that, I had a friend already over in Japan. And he invited me over. Um, just to visit. And so I spent a month traveling around in Japan. How wonderful. Yeah. Another hot tip. If you're coming to Japan by yourself, the love hotels are very cheap and extraordinarily clean. Um, they might be a little awkward to stay in, but there is no cheaper way to get around Japan. Oh, because the love hotels are like kind of for um, assignations, shall we say? <laughs> it's a great word for it. Yeah. I was just uh, trying to think of so a, high end. <laughs> a way to say it that would be as innocuous as possible. Yes, but th- that's why they're called love hotels, right? Sure. I like how they call them that instead of like pay by the hour, which is the crass yes. way Americans yeah. usually do it. Yeah. And, um, but it actually, you can pay for the, for the overnight. And like I said, they're very, very cheap. 
um, and they're very, very clean. They have very, to be. Yes. And the rooms are larger. By than necessity. Are, so. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. Uh, you'd hope. Yes. It's like hot tubs. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I, well, they do. They, they usually have one, yeah. I, I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and so I spent a month going around uh, the lower part of Japan from, from Tokyo over to um, uh, Gifu and Nagoya and places like that. And I got drunk one night with my friend and he said, why don't you just apply to my company? And I did it right then and there. I applied to his company and they What's got back the company? to me. About, Can you say? I work, uh, yes, I work for Interac, which is a very uh, good company. What do they do? Uh, they, oh, I'm trying to describe. I, I, I am what is called an ALT, an assistant language teacher. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you teach English to Japanese? Yes, I do. I teach uh-huh. uh, elementary and middle school students. That's and awesome. And fun, I'll bet. It is. And, and I don't want to get, yeah, I don't want to get interact in any trouble. They didn't, they didn't, you know, my, I, I was drunk, but I, I properly typed in all my information and they did, they did vet me very well. I'm when sure. I was, yeah, the next couple months after when I was sober and back in Alaska, they, they vetted me very well. They did um, background checks, uh, quite a few phone calls back and forth to make sure that I was proper teaching material. And then they said, yep, you did, you did great. You can come on over and we'll even Wonderful. help you out with the plane ticket and getting you started and everything. So and that was seven, seven years ago. And you've been living in Japan ever since? Yes. Yep. And Loving where that. in Japan are you? I am in uh, the northern area of Japan. I am near Sendai. Uh, is it in beautiful? Yagi-ken. It is. It's gorgeous. I'll bet. I'm in a very mild climated area. It's the least cold in winter and the least hot in summer. That's How what the perfect. Uh, well, that's what the old people say. So uh, uh, these 80 bent over 80, 90 year old Japanese people. So um, if you got to be a them, far cry from Montana, though, weather wise. Yes. Um, Which is yeah, the dry. Yeah, the dry cold. I live, or Wyoming. Uh, I mean, not Montana. Yeah, both. But my, my home in um, Wyoming is 7,000 something feet above sea level. So it's very, very chilly up there. Yeah. And kind of a nosebleed altitude. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I grew up there, so I guess I'm inno- in- inoculated to it. I don't get anything like that. Your hands get dry really easy. That's the thing. Itchy I bet. <laughs> Itchy hands. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not have that be the title of the podcast. I recommend Aquaphor. Thank you. I will I will take that into consideration. <laughs> of course, probably in Japan there's all kinds of good stuff too. So yeah. so elementary and, and middle school kids? Yep. They're great. So ages like six to twelve? Yes. I think the yeah, the first graders in elementary Aww. school are six and the third graders. In middle school are, I think, 14. So, yes. That sounds that so cute. Yeah, they are cute. They're adorable. They run up to me. The first graders in elementary school run up to me in the hallway and they'll yank on your sleeve and go, I like, I like, I like red. And, and, and do you like red? I like red. Bye. And run away. Ah, trying to make Aww. friends. Yeah. Yeah. You can't even, you can't speak Japanese well or English well. It's adorable. 
<laughs> that sounds like so fun. It is. It's always an adventure every day to see what what is going to happen. You never know. No. Every day, especially is not with the littler ones. Oh, the, the middle schoolers too. They they have some they have some surprises for you. I've had um, great example. I, I went to school one day, and it, uh, one of the kids started singing um, the Beatles at me just down the hallway. Just just at, at you. you. Yeah. Yesterday, all my problems seem so far away. Say, well, you know that. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. So you never know what they have. <laughs> and I suppose you're fluent in Japanese. I am unfortunately not. Uh, you I must think be I close. Will... <laughs> I think I will be studying Japanese for the rest of my life until I die to get to get fluent at it. Um, I can speak Fair. converse I can speak conversationally, like everyday conversations, not a problem. I can read a decent amount of kanji, but not a lot. And uh, uh, writing, I can I can do the the uh, hiragana and the katakana, and I can do some kanji. But um, listening is by far my strongest. I can understand most of the everyday things that are happening around. How amazing! And I just love this this clear vision you had at such a young age, though. Yeah, I'm glad it. <laughs> All the way back in Wyoming, like you just start playing Go and you're like, wait, something about this. Oh, yeah. wait, it's Japanese. Oh, wait, I'm enthralled with this culture. Yes, it spoke to my soul in a certain way and I'm glad that it, it stayed there. That's yeah. a very clear vision. Mm. Yeah, I think some people get that um, and some people... Not everyone. Yeah, some people aren't lucky enough to find that thing that speaks to their soul like that. So. No, and, and and not so clearly and not so mm. young. Yeah. That was such a clear directive. Yes, it was. And the same with writing. I mean, you just kind of knew early. Yeah, very much. I wanted to be, I think I phrased it as I wanted to be a storyteller. I loved telling stories and writing was, was what worked best for me. And I really loved writing and really loved reading. I used to be able to read a 500-page book in one day. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, can't do that much anymore. Uh, I read recently Stephen King's fairy tale, finished I finished want that. to read that. That's, yeah. uh, was it good? It was great. It's on my list. It's on my yes. TBR list. Yes. Another, another shout-out to, to another writer who's not me. Stephen King was great. He always has been, always will be, and this is another solid entry into his list too <laughs> so stephen king if you're listening <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> you never know maybe you never, yeah. maybe yeah he might he might I'm tune in. That'd be pretty cool. yeah <laughs> he should if we name drop him enough he'll come right yeah. and then he'll buy my book too yeah philip k that? dick if you're listening oh sorry <laughs> you'd have to be listening from beyond <laughs> I, he might hitchens would disagree but <laughs> Yeah, at odds with each other, my my influence. Yeah. But uh, that was another 600-page book. But, yeah, Five days to finish that. Uh, yeah, I want to read it. I, I, I don't know. I, I read a lot of King hmm. years ago. And then his more recent stuff started to seem kind of um, just in need of tighter editing to me. I think when you get to the point where people will publish. Anything. Yeah. yeah. Like, just put your name on it. <laughs> yeah. Say, Here's my shopping list. Publish it, and they they will. Yeah, I don't think it's like that. I think it's um, 
I've heard it's like one of his best in years. Yeah, I don't think it's um, anything outside of his box. Uh, his his strongest aspect and his weakest aspect are the same. It's that it's a Stephen King novel. It sounds like Stephen King. It reads like Stephen King, but it it's reliably good that way. I love so. that. His dialogue is some of the best. It is, and and it is also. Um, I give him a lot of points in this book for his understanding that his um, diction is a little outdated. <laughs> But he recognized uh, uh, that and created an older character to, to kind of shoulder that diction. Nice. So I don't interview, as you probably noticed. I just get people talking and reading excerpts yeah. <laughs> and all that stuff. But at the very end of every episode, I have three questions. I ask every guest the same three okay. questions. I feel like we already kind of hit the first one, but... Knowing you, there's probably something else on your list. Um, what are you reading these days? Uh, yeah, I was I was reading Stephen King's fairy tale. Uh, I finished that. I look forward to that. Yeah. Um, currently, uh, I read three books at a time. I read nice. a book. Yeah, I read a book at home. I read a book before bed, and I read a book at work. So I just at work. I just finished uh, a current uh, C.G. Young book that I was reading. So I've got to find something different to read at work. I was going to move on, I think, to uh, uh, Nietzsche's On the Genealogy of Morality. Nice. Which is, uh, I don't think anyone at work could ever knock me for reading that. No, I would <laughs> think not. Yeah. And then here at um, home for just... During the regular waking hours of the day, I've been reading um, Philip K. Dick's The Man in the High Castle. Nice. I love Philip K. Dick. I've read almost everything he ever wrote. Yeah, it's great. And I have a a Folio Society edition. Oh, wow. Which is beautiful. The Folio Society makes beautiful high-end books. Um, So they're, you know, maybe one day Keeping the Stars Awake will be a Folio edition. I can dream. Well, Folio Society, if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Knocking on your door, guys. Yep. Putting a bug in your ear. Yes. And then at night, um, just to wind down for the day, I'm I'm reading another um, uh, beautiful Folio Society edition of uh, Japanese Tales, which is a collection of over, um, I think it's over 300 classic Japanese folk stories. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah, uh, lots of them from the Heian Jidai, which is uh, the Heian, Heian period, which is, uh, I do believe, 700 to roughly the middle of the uh, 1100s. Oh, how very cool. Yeah, that's what I'm reading right now. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. Mm. Yeah, I'll, I'll put those in the show notes for our listeners. Those, yeah. those Japanese tales, too, just the... I notice when I read old tales from any country, anywhere, that there's so much overlap in the archetypes they choose yeah, to deal with. A very Jungian concept there, the, the, the archetypes that speak to all of, of mankind just through the lens of your culture. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, there's always something there that overlaps, you yeah. know. 
definitely our cultures aren't aren't as disparate yeah. as some people <laughs> like to think. No. There's there's so much more commonality. Yeah, I gave a uh, I, I teach some older folks here in Japan too on occasion. Oh, nice. Out of the generosity of my heart, they're also wonderful people, and I I told them recently that uh, this kind of story is a David and Goliath story. And they looked at me with a you know a funny look like David and Goliath. <laughs> and I said it would make more sense to you if I said Shutendoji, which was the king of the Oni or the demons in Japan, versus the old samurai Ano, I think it was Ano Yorimitsu was his name. So you have even in Japan, you have a David and Goliath story here. Of course. You have Yori, Yorimitsu versus the giant Shutendoji. So that's so wonderful. Yeah. I love that. What are you listening to these days? What's on your turntable if you have such an old-fashioned yeah. apparatus? <laughs> I wish I did. Um, no, I just have a regular old iPhone. I am a sinner like the rest of the world. Um, That's okay. Yeah. They take up less. Uh, no. We have a turntable on shelves and shelves of vinyl, but it takes up some space in the living room. Yes. Well, currently I am, um, I'm listening to, uh, I think I, I wrote some of this down too. I'm listening to, uh, Joe Bevin. I'm probably butchering his name too. Uh, who is a wonderful pianist. He writes very quiet, beautiful, uh, piano pieces that also have a lot of depth. So nice. Joe Bevin is very good. And I've also been listening to Metric, which is a great band. Um, they're a little more rock and roll, as well as um, Nako and Medicine for the People uh, of Monsters and Men and uh, some Lord Huron recently as well. Nice. I will have to look them up. Now, if you're looking for something new to add to your listening, there's um, a British duo from the Isle of Ooh. Wight. Oh, lovely. Wet Leg. Wet Leg. That sounds yep. Awesome. Uh, but they're so rockin'. Yeah. And they're they're kind of punk. They're kind of post-punk. Um, every song on their self-titled new album, which is just called Wet Leg, it's eponymously titled. It's just it's just banger after banger. I'll have to check that out. That does sound up my alley very much. I think you would like Wet Leg. I yeah. think you would. Thank you. I will, I will definitely take the recommendation. You are quite welcome. Your ears will be happy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Eyes and ears. That's right. So what are you watching these days? What am I watching? Uh, I get to watch less TV than I used to because I'm reading and writing so much. Sure. But these days on things like Netflix and stuff like that, I've been watching... The uh, Cabinet of Curiosities by Guillermo Ooh, del Toro. We have two. Ah, uh, so good. It's good. Right? Yeah, they've got some H.P. Lovecraft stories in there, and they did them justice, which is hard. It is hard, especially because he was kind of a terrible person. Yeah, it's a it's another Pretty one of those things through the looking glass. <laughs> yeah. He is a exemplar of his time, is maybe a way to put that is. I people think you're his, right. Yeah, he was, I would compare him to the people in 
my small hometown of Wyoming who were bad people, but they didn't know they were bad. Right. It's the same mm-hmm. kind of thing. He was, um, he was a bigot and he was a racist, but they all were back then. It's a, it was what they were. Um, travel. No excuse. But, travel yeah. is a good cure for that. Mark Twain, I do believe said something similar. Yeah. He did. Yes. I but wish yeah, I've been watching. Quote it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could quote a lot of Mark Twain. <laughs> I know all of it. <laughs> Just off the top of my head. But uh, yes, yeah. the uh, Cabinet of Curiosities is great. We love it. I got to watch um, something. I'm so glad they remade and they remade it well, which is Godzilla versus Kong. I want to see that. It's great. I remember the original where. I do believe King Kong threw Godzilla into the volcano. Yes. Um, Kong won. But they they remade it and they remade it so well. It was so good. I enjoyed it so very much um, to see that little piece of my childhood come back to the big screen. And that's recently been uploaded to uh, Netflix. So that was really great. I'm excited to see that. It did. And then um, finally, because I, because I am in Japan... I do, I do watch some anime. Uh, I used to watch more when I was younger. Um, I was a Dragon Ball Z kid. Oh, um, nice. My brother and I both were uh, running around the backyard with Kamehameha um, to my dad's chagrin. But uh, in this modern age, uh, <laughs> I don't watch as much as I used to. I still watch when something good comes around. And uh, the recent series called uh, Cyberpunk Edge Runners was amazing it was uh the animation was off the walls amazing and the soundtrack was amazing as well um where's the streaming who, is this just only in japan no it's on uh it was a netflix original uh in collaboration with uh studio trigger oh, so it's cool. on netflix all over the world oh so, cool if anyone's looking to dip their toe into the quality stuff the good stuff there yes. is good anime. There is good anime out there. I promise it's not all. I, mean, I grew up on really <laughs> early kind of American anime, um, Speed Racer. Uh, yeah, we'll see. That was from when Japan was originally. Girl. Came on yep. over here. Yeah. Has a different name over here. I can't remember what it is. But yeah, you know, there's quality stuff out there. If you look for it, you got to wade through some of the more. Um, giant booby island stuff but if you can get through it you can find <laughs> the, you can find some titans. Qual- yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah if you can wait to the grand titans there are some very good animation anime out there so and that was one of them and i watched it recently and did did not regret it at all it was amazing so i recommend that as well how fantastic yeah. all right i will consider myself advised i'm gonna put these in the show notes before we let you go, can you just tell our listeners where to find you and follow you and buy your books and all that good stuff? Yeah. So um, Keeping the Stars Awake is uh, also available from uh, Atmosphere Press. Of course, they're the ones who published it. Very gracious of them. Uh, I also have my own website, www matthew james mckee at gmail.com or at gmail.com that's silly of me uh, <laughs> at matthew james that's McKee. how to email com. you <laughs> yes email is um matthew james mckee at gmail.com the website is matthew james mckee.com no gmail there 
Um, and then you can also find me on Amazon. Um, some of my older books that I did not unpublish are still available on Amazon. Giving hope to new writers everywhere. Yes. 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 Look how terrible I was. Look how good I am now. You can do it too. I like that. Yeah. You can find me there. I think I'm Matthew J. McKee on Amazon. And so that's where you can find me and that's where you can reach me. And I appreciate all the help you have given me and giving me a little bit of publicity and any support <laughs> anybody gives me would be greatly appreciated as a budding author. I would greatly appreciate it. Do you have a, a Patreon or a donate page or anything? People should just buy your books, right? That's yeah. <laughs> just, just buy the yeah. damn books, people. Yeah. I don't have anything um, like that. Uh, I'm actually kind of technically deficient uh -huh. in technology. Uh, I can I can run all the basic stuff on my computer and my phone and all that. Like, I'm not a I'm not a, a, a 90 year old nearsighted guy with really chubby fingers, but <laughs> I'm not a technical mastermind. I'm not good with technology. I have always been called an old soul. So I do not have a Patreon or anything like that. People can just buy your books. Yes, I am a humble storyteller, a humble author. Please buy my books. <laughs> Aww. Well, thank you so much, Matthew. This has been really, really, really fun. Of course, it was a joy. I enjoyed it very much. A wide-ranging conversation. It's lovely to talk with you. Well, that was good, wasn't it? Wasn't that great? He's he's delightful. Yeah, really, really sweet guy. Grab a copy of the book. It's a riveting read. Yes. And a rollicking good time. <laughs> How's that for some alliteration? <laughs> so, speaking of reviews, like we mentioned in the intro... We actually have one from Basha Krasnov for the uh, season four, episode three, Christian Livermore conversation. Oh, talking about her brilliant memoir, We Are Not Okay. Yeah. Go check out that episode. It's really good. Check out the book. Mm -hmm. But Basha says, a brilliant, intimate conversation between Elizabeth McDuffie and Christian Livermore on this Me For Tea cast. Truly stellar. Five stars. Thank you, Basha. Thank you, Basha. Love you. So. We'll read your reviews on the podcast, too. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I think that about wraps us up for season four, episode 11. And we'll, uh, we'll stay tuned because we'll be back in a couple weeks. See you next time. The Meat for Tea cast is produced by Elizabeth McDuffie and Meat for Tea, The Valley Review. Mixed by Mark Allen Miller at Sewn Lab, East Hampton, Massachusetts. Visit Meat for Tea at www.meatfortea.com. Please consider going to anchor.fm to make a contribution through our contribution page. You can reach us through meatforteacast at gmail.com, or you can leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash meatforteacast. We welcome suggestions for contents for the Meat for Tea cast. If you've attended a Meat for Tea Cirque and want to hear from one of the bands or one of the spoken word contributors, please let us know. All portions are copyright Meat for Tea and their respective holders. Vote for Meat for Tea on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at Elizabeth, Meat for Tea on Instagram and on the Meet for Tea and Meet for Tea cast Facebook pages. 
Meat for Tea is available everywhere you get your favorite podcasts.